0: This evening, if you'd like to follow, I'm reading from Exodus and chapter 4. Exodus and chapter 4, we'll be looking at that together in a moment, if you want to just turn there. This passage is um, an extraordinary time in Moses' life when God has come to him with an extraordinary offer, saying to him, that he's calling him. Moses, uh, in the desert, sees a bush that is full of glory and fire and flame, but not burning out. It it doesn't get consumed by the fire. And he goes to investigate, and to his shock and amazement, a voice comes to him out of that uh, bush and calls him to a great purpose, namely to go down to Egypt and bring out... About two million people into a great adventure. that They might go into their inheritance. It's an amazing time in the history of Israel. And he has the huge privilege of being God's instrument and servant in that. Uh, But to our amazement, what we'll see in a moment is instead of Moses saying, wow, thanks, what an amazing privilege, of course I'll do it. Uh, We find a very different kind of answer. We find him really resisting, uh, trying to miss it, trying not to do it. And he nearly misses God's purpose for his life when God is about to do something phenomenal. And I'm hoping and praying as we look at this together tonight that God will help many of us who are on the edge, I believe, of tremendous adventure, so much momentum as we've been seeing and hearing from testimony, God moving us into a new phase And always God, when he saves us, has got plans and purposes for us. But we too can often just kind of miss it because, well, perhaps not me, Lord, somebody else, Lord. And we'll see how God deals with this servant of his here in Exodus chapter 4. So this chapter follows immediately after that conversation at the burning bush. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord didn't appear to you? And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. When he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water that you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant." I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, "Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. His heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him. Put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. and It will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand, so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, I wish you well. Now the Lord Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. He took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refused to let him go. I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood. Referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses on the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say. And also about all the miraculous signs he commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Father, we thank you so much for our being together here. We thank you for your call on our lives. We thank you for the great truths that we've celebrated tonight, the splendor of our Lord Jesus on the cross, his great triumph. We thank you. you directed our attention to that which is most wonderful to us. Lord Jesus, we love to sing your praise. We thank you for taking our place. We thank you for embracing our sin and guilt and letting us go free. Lord, we thank you that you would ever pay such a price. Now, Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask you in the light of all that Jesus has done and in his name, Father, would you please pour out your Holy Spirit, upon us now. Come, Holy Spirit. Please be our teacher. Please, Lord, say more than I am saying. Speak into our hearts. Help us to hear you. Help us to fulfill your great purpose. Help us to lift up the name of Jesus in our generation. And may we walk from this place in a new place with you, Lord Jesus. Come do these things which we cannot do, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So here's a man being offered a tremendous opportunity to fulfill a historic role in God's great plan of redemption. He can be the man. He can be God's instrument. But sadly, he's not wanting to know. He resists God's offer. He says, no, send somebody else. And you think, why? What's wrong with the guy? Why doesn't he rise to the occasion? Why doesn't he say, thank you for this privilege? I want to suggest to you that the reason he doesn't respond promptly is because, like many of us, he's got a past. It's not like he's got a clean sheet. It's not like he can say to God, well, look, here's my life. Just write on it what you will. There's nothing written there yet. Nearly all of us have got something that's already written there. We've had experience. We've done things. And then when offers of new things come, we feel, I'm not sure I want to risk that. I'm not sure I want to get out of my comfort zone. And so we can miss what God wants to do with us. And I'd like us to kind of look at the story and see what there is there to learn. And I want to, in my heart, imagine that for many of us, as we are really, I believe, Seeing God move, I think in the testimonies we've heard, the whole sense of momentum that's among us, I want to believe that when I finished here tonight, there'll be kind of a lot of invisible chains left on the floor. And we step out of them and say, Yes, Lord, I am thoroughly available to you. And I want to believe, let's believe it together. We're going to leave behind everything that kind of holds us back and stops us, pressing through. So what do we see here about Moses? Well, first of all, Moses was born in sad circumstances. I often think when I travel, it's been a privilege to travel places, you think, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that I was born in a country where there's freedom, where it's not absolutely gripped by poverty, and you know, you're just born where you happen to be born. And I say, thank you, Jesus, that I was born really in a good scene in so many ways. Paul, uh, Moses was not He was born into a nation that had become slaves. They'd been slaves for a long time. There was no brilliant prospect. They were in slavery. And not only was it a bad scene, it was a terrible time because Pharaoh had now brought this decree that the Israelites are growing and growing in numbers within his nation. He's getting scared of the political implications of having a, a nation within a nation. And he says, destroy all the male children. That's the Lord. So he's born right there. But he's born, we're told, in Hebrews chapter 11, to believing parents. And uh, by faith, we're told, his parents didn't slaughter him. By faith, they hid him. By faith, they looked after him. It's a great privilege to be born into a believing home. We're sometimes uh, almost embarrassed by it. Sometimes, oh, if only I had a testimony. You know, I was a a terrible, wicked sinner, and then I became a Christian. But, you know, you were saved when you were four, and you hadn't accumulated a great deal of wickedness yet. You know, I turned from my gross life at four and became a believer. And so a little bit, oh, if only I had. But, you know, it's a massive privilege to be raised in a believing home where faith can be imparted and clarity about what life is all about. Moses had that privilege, He was born into a believing home where it would seem to me his parents had passed on to him, we are the people of God. God appeared to our forefather Abraham and said to him, through his seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I will bless you. Through you, I'm going to bless the world. And Moses, we are the ones And we won't go into all the story of how he got given back to his own parents. But he was back in his own home. And his parents, for a whole season, had opportunity to impart faith to this boy. So that, yeah, we're God's people. No, we don't look like God's people. We look like slaves. We don't look like the light of the world. We look like in trouble. But somehow, they were believers. They believed. We are God's answer to world history. That's the fact. That's what they told him. Then they had to send him away to Egypt University. And when he got to Egypt University, he got a completely different worldview. Uh, we are Egyptians. You are a young prince. Look what we've accomplished. Look at these pyramids. Look at this army. Look at this breakthrough in medicine and and architecture and the skills. I mean, it's tangible. Touch it. Look how powerful we are. Uh, And so Moses, uh, as a young guy, has got these two views in his life. He's got this invisible, mystical view. We're God's people. And then we've got this, hey, look what we've accomplished. And it says in the Bible, when Moses... Became mature by faith. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he embraced being with the despised people. It's oh, amazing. It's incredible faith. It doesn't say he had to. It doesn't say his, ma- his parents were breathing down his neck saying, I'll be a good Hebrew. He'd come to maturity. He's, he's, in fact, Josephus, the uh, Jewish historians said that he had led an Egyptian army by this time in a battle against the Ethiopians at Memphis. He was now mighty. He'd become a, a, a powerful prince in Pharaoh's household. He's come to maturity. But in his heart, what he was told by his parents, he actually believed it. And it says in Hebrews 11, by faith he identified with these slave people as though they're the answer to world history. Really believing that God's purpose was wrapped up with this crowd. Now that's the kind of wonderful positive way it's recorded in Hebrews 11. The way it actually worked out wasn't so neat and tidy. We're told that he's in the palace and he looks out and he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. And so he rushes out and kills the Egyptian. I mean, he's just a powerful prince. He's a soldier. He kills the guy and hides the body. And then the next day, he's in the palace and he looks out and there's two Hebrews fighting one another. He said, What are they doing? So he goes out and says, What are you fighting for? You're brothers. And they turn on him and say, Who are you? Who are you that you take this authority over us? And he says, and They say to him, Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptians? And it says Moses knew that someone knows about what he'd done. And he fled. He fled and was in the desert. And it's in that desert he's been. And then God comes to him and says, I've got a plan for you. And Moses says, no thank you. Why? Well, because he's got some history. I've tried helping before. It doesn't work. I've tried doing it. And, you know, many of us, when we hear God's doing a fresh new thing, can sadly think back to, yeah, I've tried. It doesn't seem to work for me. Maybe there was a moment when you felt, I'm going to be a bolder witness at work. I'm, I'm going to name the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to testify. I'm going to try and get them along too. And it all went wrong. And they turned on and said, Oh, holy Joe, what's with you? And they, oh, And, and what, you know, your effort just blew up in your face. And I you think, oh, I'm not trying that again. (laughs) I'll just be, I hope they'll think how nice I am. And say, oh, what is it makes you so nice? Uh, I'm not going to step my neck out. I'm not going to try and do stuff that makes, you know, we can be like that. Would you be a small group? leader? No, I don't think I could do that. Would you do, no, I don't think so. I think let other people. And so we can be a bit like Moses thinking, I can't. I've tried before. And sometimes they're very deep things. I remember a friend of mine, And his wife had a little baby that only lived just a few days, really, just a few weeks. And she was um, what they called a blue baby. Her head was swollen, and uh, it was really sad, and she looked so ill. And I remember at one time when I was with him in his home, and uh, his wife came in with her and said, Look, she looks so bad. Please, won't you pray? And I remember we closed our eyes and prayed and when I looked at her, she looked looked a kind of strange colour. And and we prayed and when I opened my eyes, she was pink. I thought, wow, God's done it. And I remember telling my unsaved parents, God has healed Christina. We pray for her. And like three days later, she died. And I thought, oh, wow. And I thought, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to stick my neck out. And I remember saying to my friend, I'll never, I actually said this, I'll never trust God again. You know, I felt so hurt. I felt so let down. I felt, you know, told by parents. I'm lost. I don't understand all this. You know, you can have experiences that you just don't understand. Why, Lord, why? That's one of the cries of the psalmist. Why? And you have, it's it's a fallen world, and we get things we don't quite understand, and we'd like to understand. How do I leave that and press? How can I walk into the future when all this is behind? I can't walk away from it. The amazing thing was, a year later, I'd left my secular job. I was doing door-to-door evangelism. No one had promised me a salary. I just went. I just felt God told me to do it. And I left my job. and And my friend said to me, do you remember what you said a year ago? I said, no, what was that? He said, you said you'd never trust God again. Now you're trusting him for everything. I was like the Muppets with no visible means of support. (laughs) And God, God looked after me. And you know, what I felt was, it says says, out of these stones, God can make children of Abraham. You know, when your heart's all stony, and that happens sometimes, because something happens, and you think, I'm never going to, I'm just, I'll, okay, I'll keep coming to church. I'm not going to go and get drunk, but I'm not going out on a limb again. And, I, and it says, out of these stones, God can make children of Abraham, believers. God can renew your heart. So if, you, if you've had an experience, you think, I don't understand, that was so painful, I reached out, it didn't work for me. That's often why, when God says, right, Come into my new purpose, and, oh, no, thank you. I want to encourage you tonight, if that's true of you, if, you've, if you say, no, I'll play safe, I'll be here, but don't ask me to step out, why don't you turn your back on that attitude and say, Lord, I, I really do want to see what you're doing. I want to get caught up. As it happens, Moses was ahead of God. It says in Acts 7, he supposed they would understand God had sent him, but actually God hadn't sent him. He'd rushed ahead of God. And he got into trouble. And he kind of blamed God. But actually God's saying, now look, I have heard the cry of my people. I have come down to deliver them. And I send you. That's very different. That's now God's initiative. We're living in days when God is initiating, moving people. We've heard some lovely testimonies here tonight. And there's a whole wave of people hearing God moving into new adventures. God's on the move. God's heard the cry of our poor nation. It's terrible blindness and the pain that it's enduring. He's calling us. He's calling us. So if you know that's you, if you know, well, no, I'm not going. No, no, Let's leave it behind. Say, Lord, I open my heart to you. Why don't you do that? Even now as we're going through this word, say, Lord, I'm sorry I've closed down on you. Actually, I'm here at the meeting, but I'm not going to be vulnerable. Come on, let's open up and say, Lord what have you got for me? See, otherwise it stops now. You say, well, I can just be good. No, no, you can't just be good. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So let's open our hearts again. Say, Lord, let's start again, please. Okay, shall we do that? If you know that that's your problem, will you leave that behind tonight? Drop that chain. The next thing we see is, I want to suggest maybe some bitterness towards his brothers. It's why they may not believe me again. It's like, what do you mean? They didn't believe me before. They. It's them. What do you mean it's them? Well, I risked everything for them. He, he, he identified himself with the slaves. He needn't have done. He could have stayed in the palace. He could have said, poor guys. but well, When I become Pharaoh, maybe I'll change some laws. You know, when I've got real power, I could, I could change the prince, you know, the way these slaves are treated. I, I stuck my neck out for them. I, I went out of my way to help them. And now what? 40 years in the desert. I mean, this is 40 years later. He's looking after a few sheep. I mean, this must be wonderful. You wake up in the morning. What shall I do today? I know what. I'll take the sheep around the mountain. You know, bring them back go to bed. Next morning, oh, what shall I do today? I know, I'll take the sheep around. I mean, it must have been murder. And he thinks, I could have been swishing around the palace. I could have had anything I wanted. I had power. I had prestige. I I had wealth. And I'm in this desert. Why? Because of those guys. They let me down. And they're my brothers. See, some people have that. They think, no, he really ripped me off. And he's supposed to be a Christian. He led me along. He made me think, and I kind of went with him, and he dropped me. And he's a believer, wrecked my life, broke my heart. See, people have experiences and they think, hey, he's supposed to be a Christian. He treated me shamefully. Or, you know, I got into business with someone. And and he said, come on, let's do this. Let's, Let's launch a business. And I put my money in. He walked away. I mean, I lost out. And he's a believer. He let me down. She let me down. The Christians. You think, God, this is terrible. People feel, I can't just forgive that. Sometimes we feel, even when we come into a great church like this, you know, you can come into a lively church, and you think, oh, I'm so glad I'm in this church. But sadly, what can also come out, it's so great to be here, should have known my other church. Oh, a terrible parent. And you think, what is that? It says in the Bible, don't let any root of bitterness grow up. I often feel to say to young people, be ruthless with any kind of sign of bitterness. Put it to death. It says in Hebrews, make sure you obtain grace, otherwise a root of bitterness grows up and spoils many. If you get bitter, sometimes you say to someone, how are you? And you wish you hadn't asked them, because 20 minutes later they're telling you how they are. (laughs) It's kind of ugh. And, And it's like it's coming from a root of bitterness. And it spoils many. I mean, Moses doesn't look like he lives in a happy home, does it? Have you noticed his wife? You're a bridegroom of blood to me. You think Grief, happy home, happy wife. It's a, it's a sad scene. It's like he's bitter. And Of course, when you've, when you've been a pastor for a long time, you, you hear some of the stories that, I mean, it's pretty horrific. And people got terrible pain. And, and I tell you, you know, he did that to me. And, and he was my father. Or he was my uncle. And he was a deacon. And he did terrible things to me. And you're asking me to forgive? Yes. Yes, it's the only way. You see, when you don't forgive, it's almost like you, you feel as though you've got power. You're, you're saying, no, I'm not going to forgive. It, it kind of keeps you above the thing. I, I'm not going to let him off. I can't forgive him or her. But the reality is that while you're holding that unforgiveness... It's not that you've got power, it's like you've got a chain around your leg and you're, you're pulling this along through life. And, and your not forgiving holds you back, it stops you being free. So we have to say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died in my place. This is Jesus in his glory, King of heaven, dying for me. It's finished, he's done it. I must be forgiven, I must keep forgiving people. Even though it's very painful, even though you feel it's not fair, it's just not fair. I mean, I I didn't ask for this. He let me, he did it. You still got to forgive. Otherwise, you can't walk free into the next thing. God starts to say things to you, and you think, no, no, you're not free. And God's saying to you tonight, I want you free. I want you to fly again. I want you to walk out from those chains of saying, I can't forgive them. I can't forgive him or her. Let me ask you tonight. Will you forgive? Actually, it's a, ch- it's a choice. It's a decision you make. It's not just a feeling that comes over you. You say, no, I forgive. I will let this go. Will you do it tonight? Why don't you make tonight a wonderful night of stepping out of chains? Saying, I I forgive them. I I really felt they've robbed me of years. They've messed me up, but I forgive them. I want to encourage you to do that. Okay, So you see here, these things. First of all, he's feeling, I've done it before, it doesn't work for me. Also, he said, what if they don't believe me? Well, they didn't before, they, they, we can have that, those people. Next thing we see is a kind of, I don't know quite what to call it, it's almost like a kind of extreme, almost unworthiness. Now, I'm not sure this is in Moses, but it's a thing I want to speak about for a minute here, because it's like, I can't do it, and sometimes that, is, that seems to be a kind of hum- humility. It's like, would you do it? No, I couldn't do it. And sometimes that is paraded as being pretty good. You know, oh, isn't she humble? She says, no, I can't do it. But it doesn't say God said, oh, isn't he humble? How lovely. He says he can't do it. He's very angry with him. So God's not commending him for this attitude. And so it, it, it's obviously something that he's hiding behind, really. He says, I can't speak. Even since you spoke to me, I can't speak. It's like, no, I, I couldn't possibly. Now, I want to just say to you that I think that we can, we can develop a kind of theology that says, no, I can't. And, and, and put together a few fragments of things that leave us in a very dangerous position spiritually so that we feel I don't really count I'm not really significant and so you, you, know, you can come to a meeting like this you know, and you can say to the musicians uh, maybe the keyboard player you say at the end of the meeting hey thank you, that was terrific, well played and the answer is oh it wasn't me, it was the Lord and uh, you feel like saying who played the bad notes? You know, um, not not that I heard any tonight. You know, was, or or it wasn't me. It was the Lord. You won't say, oh, it was good, but the Lord. I mean, whoa. But that is often. You know, that wasn't me. I could no, it wasn't me. And and it's not true. Thank you for all the practice. Thank you for all the work. Thank you for musicians who played tremendously well together. Doesn't fall out of the sky. Thank you for working, learning to play an instrument working as a team, practicing, thank you. And you see, it's not that we say, well, it wasn't me, it was you, thanks. Or, and I, I remember this, doesn't happen so much these days, but when, when I first got started you'd preach sometimes in quite formal churches, and you'd have a group of deacons around you, and before you went up to preach, they'd all pray over you. They'd say, oh God, hide the preacher, we would see Jesus only. Sounds great, doesn't it? Hide the preacher. And it's like, like, so you go out, and a friend of mine said, next time that happens, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to say, let us pray. And he said, and when they close their eyes, I'm going down underneath. <laughs> now, it wouldn't happen on this transparent one, but it said, let's see how they got on without me. But, you know, it's a kind of, it wasn't you, it was the Lord. And we don't want to see you, we just want the Lord. Now, There's a motive there that's saying it's God we're hungry for, it's God. But be careful because we begin to put together phrases that can do us harm. It's like you don't matter. Now that can lead you the wrong way. I mean the latest, the most up-to-date one I've heard is God is looking for a faceless army. Have you heard that one? God's looking for a a faceless army. (laughs) It's like God doesn't want your face. It's, it's God. God loves anonymity. That's the idea. It's like God wants an army of anonymous people. It's like that's some great high ideal, like just be anonymous. It's not you. We don't want to see you. Just Jesus. God plays the keyboard, and 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 <laughs> it's like you're you don't. And so we can think that's it. Then that's it. We we you just want to be anonymous. Faith. No, just not true. You open your Bible. You think, "Gosh, pages of these dreadful names," <laughs> I, and I can't pronounce any of them. And God doesn't care. Let's tear them out, quick. Let's get rid of these. Good rip, you know, because it says so and so begat so and so begat so and so. I can't pronounce any of them. And and David's mighty men. Of course, they're just anonymous, really. <laughs> no, they're all named, and their exploits are recorded. And God isn't threatened and loves them and celebrates them and gives them names and tells us what they did this one went down into a pit and killed a lion this one stood in a a field and slew 300 and this one did this and and you mean you're interested in their names oh yes oh yes the bible's full of names full of personalities full of people god loves people He doesn't want clones. He doesn't want anonymity. He wants people. And he notices. So when you get the story of Nehemiah building the wall, it says, this one worked, and he worked hard. This, they were slack. Oh, what, what, you mean it matters? Yeah, it matters. Well, I thought it was just Lord doing it. No, it's us doing it. And it matters. We need to be very, very careful. Because we can get the sense, well... When you get enough of these kind of phrases, you throw them together. And then we've got also St. Ignatius' famous prayer. He set up the Jesuit movement, St. Ignatius of Loyola. And he gave the church this prayer. We do these things not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do your will. That sounds great. But it's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say not looking for any reward. It doesn't say, we're just nothing. In fact, it might be just good. Just turn, if you would like to, I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just for a few moments, to see what it says here. Because what you see in Moses is say, oh, let somebody else do it, as though it doesn't matter. It does matter. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us about Paul laying a foundation according to the grace God gave him in verse 10. And then it says in verse 12, If any man builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work Which is built on it remains, he receives a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire, or as the NIV has, as one escaping the flames. What's he saying? He's saying that every one of us ultimately will appear before God, and all of us will have our works tested. Now, this isn't about salvation, because he says quite plainly, some will suffer loss, though they'll be saved. We're not talking about salvation. Salvation is a gift. Hallelujah. The salvation is not by works, it's a gift. Jesus Christ is my righteousness, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't have to impress God. I found someone who did that for me. Jesus' righteousness has been given to us. Hallelujah. We're free, we're righteous, we're spotless in his sight, pure and blameless before him. It's like he's given us a, a clean white robe. Then he says, Now I've got works for you to do. I want you to be zealous for good works. I want you to do good works that my Father in heaven is glorified. He says, I want to do works and at the end I'm going to reward them. And so this kind of thing, well, we're nothing, we, we're, no, we're not faceless, we, don't, we were just hidden in Jesus. No, 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 you weren't hidden in Jesus. What did you do? Was it gold, silver? How did you do it? And you get the example where Jesus is in the temple, and he says he sat opposite the treasury, and a rich man came in, and out of his abundance, he put in. It's like, I'm so generous, can't help it. You know, just boastfully putting it all in. And then a little widow woman comes through and, and she, she just gets out two coins and she doesn't want anybody so she puts it in. And it's like Jesus says, let the fire fall on those gifts. And we get a chance to see the eternal judgment of God on our works. We get a chance to see how it works. It's like, let the fire fall. And the fire, imagine it, falls on this guy's big gift. And the smoke lifts, and you put your hand in, and you think, Where is it? It's gone. Wood, hay, straw. The fire took it all away. And then you think, Hey, this woman's two coins. Let the fire fall. The smoke clears. Wow, gold, silver, precious stones. It stood the fire test. And it says in the Bible the fire will test the quality. Of all of our work, we will all give account to God for what we've done. It's not that I'm anonymous, it's not that I'm faceless, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, it was you. What did you do? And Jesus will assess all the works that we've done. And it says here plainly some will receive a reward, some will suffer loss. They'll be saved. They're saved. We're not talking about losing your salvation. They're saved. It says so plainly in the text. But you can be saved, but not get the rewards. they want you to have. He wants you to have. And the next chapter tells us Paul's response to that. He says in verse 5, if I cut straight to the key verse, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, don't go on passing judgment before the time. Wait till the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness, and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. He says, this fire is so intense that it will bring to light the things hidden, the things that are hidden. Terry, why did you speak at Sheffield that night? Do you like being on platforms? Do you like showing off? God will, God will bring to light the things that are hidden, that you can't see. I can't see. Paul says in the previous verse, I don't think there's anything against me, but I'm not by that acquitted. I feel okay about it, but even my feeling okay about it is not the final word. It's his test that will be the final word. And there'll come a final word where his fire will test the quality and bring to light the hidden things. They're hidden things. Why do you do that? Do you Sunday school tomorrow? There's terrible kids I've got tomorrow. Oh, I haven't prepared for them yet. Oh, someone's got to do it. Hey, God's got to disclose the motives. And why did we do it? The things that are hidden in darkness. So it's terrifically important that we don't say, oh, no, let somebody else do it. I couldn't possibly, because that sounds so humble. No, no, that won't do. It won't do. There's going to be a fire test. We're all going to go there. And St. Ignatius of Loyola says, Oh, we're not looking for any reward. The Bible says, You'll be rewarded. And he says, I'm not looking for one. Now, one of the last verses in the whole Bible is Jesus says, I am coming with my angels. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to what he's done. Not according to what he's believed, according to what he's done. My reward is with me. I'm coming. Now, which of us is going to say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, hold Ah, oh, Jesus, hold it. Now, Jesus, just sit down. We just really want to, I mean, rewards. I mean, Lord, really, rewards. Do you think that's a very high ethic? I mean, do you think looking for reward? I mean, really, do you think? I mean, who's going to take Jesus on? <laughs> when he says, I'm coming, my reward is with me. Now, Jesus, we don't even agree with that. Let me suggest, if we don't agree with Jesus, guess who's right. (laughs) And guess who's wrong. If you read Hebrews 11, it says again and again about those who suffered. He said they did these things. What's the next phrase? Looking for the reward. That's why they did it. Looking for the reward. Even Jesus, it says, for the joy that was before him. He wasn't like some Gandhi, just not resisting. He was looking to the reward. The joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It says there are two souls in the Bible. The soul of the Old Testament, at the end of his life, he says, I've played the fool. I've wasted my time. The soul of the New Testament says, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. Henceforth, there's laying up for me a crown. You mean you're thinking about it? I'm thinking about it. Paul says. There's laid up for me a crown. And so that kind of thinking that says, oh, no, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, and faceless, and we don't count, we're not looking for any reward, we are missing a whole load of Bible teaching that says we will stand before God and God will test our works. Not for salvation. Salvation is a done deal through Jesus. Through his shed blood, his mercy, his gift. But on top of that, he wants to reward us. I mean, so many parables write about this. He wants to reward us. And so we must be careful that we don't masquerade behind, oh, I couldn't possibly. Would you lead a small group? I don't think I could. Is that all there is to say about it? Is that the last word then? Or do you think, well, maybe I need to seek God about that? We need, we're need. looking for some deacons in our church. We really feel, man, we really feel you could be an elder. Oh, no, I don't think so. We think so. We, can we help you? Can we mentor you? Can we help you a lot? We really feel this fear. Oh, no, I couldn't. No, no, no. Hey, careful. Moses took that line. He said, I can't do it. He said God was very angry with him. So we need to just say, Lord Jesus, please help us. Not to miss you. Please don't let us miss you. Either through I tried before it didn't work for me. I'm not risking it again. Or I can't forgive them, him, her. And you're you're living dragging stuff through life. And God's saying to Moses, "I've got a great plan for you." No, thank you. We can we can say no, thank you. And God's saying, "Come on, I've got things. I'm for you. I'm for you." The psalmist said, that, "This I know: God is for me. He's not threatening you. He's for you. He's not imposing. He wants to bless." Then one last thing before we close tonight: it says in that rather strange chapter, as he's going, and God sent him, and he's got this stick now that turns to a snake, and then it's a the stick again, and he can pour out water; it becomes blood. His hands leprous. Now it's not. Oh, he's just. He's got all. The, and he's going. Now he's going. He's, he's let God persuade him, he's on the march, he's told, this is what you say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then you get this strange verse, 24, the Lord came about, came about in a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. You think, what? What? God's going to kill Moses. Why? What on earth is that? Why is he going to kill him? You see, we don't know what it means, whether it means he was suddenly sick and they knew it's God, he's going to die. Or whether they saw an angel with a sword drawn. It just doesn't tell us. All, it knows, all we know is he's going to die and they know it's God. God is killing him. And what happens next? Well, this is what happens next. His wife circumcises their son. And when she's done that, the problem lifts and all is well. And they go on. What's that all about? Well, let me suggest to you, this is what it's about. Moses, more than any other person in the Bible, represents the law. He's the man most identified with the giving of the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, when Jesus is arguing with the Jewish teachers, he talks to them, he says, you trust in Moses. What he means is you trust in the law. Moses is identified with law. Law. He's the one. He's the one who represents what God requires. And thus far, God only requires one thing. You circumcise your boy on the eighth day. The law hasn't come yet. God said this to Abraham. He said, no, you must do this. You must circumcise your boy. And he hasn't done it. So the great law keeper at home doesn't keep the law. He's the voice of God. He's telling other people what they should do, but at home, he doesn't do it. And as such, he's as good as dead. His ministry is useless. Because he's totally inconsistent. And it's interesting, it's not like they even have to be told what the problem is. Immediately God draws near, it's not, well, what on earth's going on? They circumcised the boy. It's like they knew what the problem was. If God came tonight, what would you have to put right? He didn't have to say. They just knew. They just knew. She immediately, what was the deal? Well, it may be Moses is away from home. This girl is not a, from Hebrew stock. Maybe it was that on the eighth day. He said, oh, my boy, I'm going to circumcise. You're not going to circumcise my boy. Don't you touch him. Because when it stands, oh, you're a bridegroom in blood. And so maybe Moses doesn't obey God because, well, she's going to be upset. Sometimes we don't obey God because if we did, I could lose this relationship. I think this guy likes me, this girl. I know she's not, but if I yeah, I could mess the whole thing up. We can, we can do stuff and leave stuff undone because if we obey, we, we could lose it. If we walk with God, we're in trouble. Because I could lose this relationship, I could lose this, I could lose this job. And so we, we just keep our heads down. But when when God drew near, quickly deal with it. You see, Moses is useless to God if he's not obedient at home. You got any secret part in your life? You know, when other people aren't looking, does that laptop come up? No one's around? Is that accessible? No one knows about that. That's stuff at home that's really out of keeping with your public life. Moses had that in his home. He wasn't consistent at all. And his ministry's as good as dead. And when God comes, they deal with it quickly. I want to say to you tonight, friends, we'll close a minute, be ruthless with things. Be ruthless. If you know you've got secret disobedience, deal with it. Because it's going to stop you fulfilling God's right, purpose in your life. He dealt with it. And I love what it says. When he dealt with it, it says Aaron came to meet him. Now Aaron is the great high priest in the Old Testament, and like Jesus is our great high priest. And I found this that whenever you are ruthless and say, Lord, okay, I'm gonna deal with that. It's just Aaron came to him and kissed him. Don't you find that when you say Lord Jesus, yes, Lord, it's like he comes out of the shadows and he's right there. It's like you got Jesus back. When you had the secret disobedience, it's like he wasn't near. When you deal with it, it's like Jesus, he came and kissed him. It's like the prodigal son, he's making his way home and the father ran and fell on his neck. God comes to meet you. And then it says, he kissed him and then they went together. That's the Christian life, isn't it? Walking together with Jesus. And then the adventure takes off. This is a chapter starting with God inviting him, them saying no. Ending up with, here we go, into God's purpose. And tonight, dear friends, we're here with purpose. God wants you here. God wants you to hear him. God wants you to say yes. I want to believe, as we said earlier, there'll be a whole load of chains left where you're sitting now. We're going to walk away from them and say, I forgive. I refuse to live in the captivity of my unforgiveness. I refuse to now say I won't trust God again. I'm going to trust God again. But I need to step out of it. Would you stand please?